This is the Overland Archive Backpacking Podcast. All right, everybody. Well, thank you all for uh, hopping on the podcast with us. Um, Today, I'm your host, Patrick. Welcome to the Overland Archive podcast. Today, I've got Louis Sador sitting down with me. He's all the way over in, I think, what, Melbourne? Melbourne, Australia? Melbourne. Welcome. So it's Tuesday there, Tuesday morning. I'm 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 still on Monday, my friend. <laughs> I still got a case of the Mondays. <laughs> no, man, thanks yeah. for having me on. So, I mean, just to catch everybody up or whatever, uh, you reached out and was like, hey, let's do a collab. And um, you didn't know this, but I was also thinking about reaching out to you. I've listened to some of your shows. You got some great content. And um, you're coming at it from a much different perspective than I am. You know, like I'm the guy that doesn't, like I'm like I'm I'm like an average bike packer, you know. Like I haven't won any races or anything. And then you got the Tour Divide guy over here, and so <laughs> I. <laughs> well, I mean, it's true. I mean, it's just it's yeah. I, I like that there's um, I don't know diversity and like options for people to go and like check out from different people's perspectives. You're gonna have questions and like no shit that I'm not gonna know. Um, so when you reached out, I I I, I appreciated it, and also, God, in this world. I love the idea of collaborating because there's so much not collaborating going on. So, um, yeah, I'm excited to be here. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, me too, man. It's my pleasure. Um, yeah, like you said, like, um, it's, it's really cool. I'm really excited to, to sit down and like, I guess we're both doing similar things in this like podcast bikepacking space. Um, but, um, and I, I love what you do. Like I listen to lots of podcasts um, because I can do it at work. Um, I've been like listening to you since since the start and really enjoy it. But like you said, like I, I just sort of thought that I could offer like a slightly different perspective. And I think it's cool um, because we are sort of offering different perspectives on the same thing. And I think together it sort of helps paint this like really complete picture. Well, I hope so. I mean, I yeah, I was going to give you shit about like, you know, why did you start a podcast? You like looked and were like, well, these guys are shit. So I think I'll start one too, but (laughs) I know that's not what it is. Uh, but I, I mean, my niche has been like, I, I don't know, like I'm the, I'm the dad with the kids that can only do the micro adventures a lot of times. And I'm lucky I get like an extended one, you know, and, uh, it's just, so uh, there, there's the thing that I think you and I are both probably realizing. And and a lot of people are realizing is that bikepacking is 100% growing, exploding at a rapid rate everything's kind of slowed down with like COVID and everything. But I mean, if you look back 10 years ago to where we were, you know, 10 years ago to now, I mean, it's just insane. Bike manufacturers are are making bikes. I mean, the routes that are popping up are everywhere. The media coverage is so, um, the point being is that there's a lot of people who are interested in getting into bikepacking. And what I, what I try to do with mine is I, I, there's a lot of stuff I don't know. Right. But I think there's a lot of people that are getting into it that are new, that are more, you know, probably on my level that can relate to my perspective of talking to somebody who won the tour divide and be like, Holy shit. Like, what is that like? You know? And, and then yeah. you can come at it from a totally thing. It's like, oh, yeah, I remember that section, and that was hard, and, you know, blah, blah, blah. You know, it's just like a totally different thing, so it's cool. Yeah. Awesome. All right, well, let's get into it. Before we start, though, uh, as is your tradition, Miles Arbor uh, has a song. So, uh, Miles, take it away. Hit it, Miles. You load up your bike, you ride away from home. You could be with your friends or you could be alone. You ride for a day or maybe more. 
shooting that new pillow you got from Santa Claus. And then you think, oh shit to yourself. You left that super lightweight tent on the living room shelf. Bikes. Hey folks, Lewis here. I'm just going to jump in real quick uh, for a little bit of housekeeping. Also, we didn't really explain what's going on. So if you haven't figured it out, um, or if you don't know both of us, uh, depending on what podcast you're actually listening to this through, since we're both Patrick and myself are putting this out. Um, Patrick is the host of Bikes or Death podcast and... I'm Lewis Sidor, and I host the Overland Archive podcast. We're both bikepacking-focused podcasts, so if you are aware of one but not the other, go check the other out. Um, We're basically splitting this interview down the middle, so to start off, I'm going to be asking Patrick some questions, and then about halfway through, we'll flip it around, and he's going to start asking me some questions. Although that said, it is fairly conversational the whole way through. Um, pretty casual, which is, yeah, it's actually a really fun chat. So I hope you enjoy it. Um, from me, I would just like to quickly thank some new Patreon supporters. I always try and make, um, a point to, to shout those people out. So Axel, Hilton, Claire, Justin, and Ash, thank you all so much. Um, both Patrick and I, um, you know, we, we make these shows happen out of our own pocket. So if you'd like to support either of us, um, we are both on Patreon. So, uh, patreon.com slash bikes or death or, uh, patreon.com slash overland archive. Um, yeah. All right. Enjoy the chat. All right. So Pat, you've been, you've been running bikes or death podcast for a while now and, you're based in Texas, right? Well, where whereabouts in Texas are you? Uh, it's College Station, which is like a smallish town in between Dallas, Austin, and Houston. So those are pretty well-known large towns for people yeah. probably in the States. I don't know how many people in Australia know where Austin, uh, Austin Texas is, but you know. Okay. Well, I know I know College Station because I know Texas A&M is there. I'm kind of into college football a bit. so Really? Yeah. <laughs> Wait, um, American college football? Yeah, yeah, yeah. How, how does that happen? Um, well, I lived in Canada for, I don't know, five years or something. And um, a really good friend of mine, Tom, is really into football. And um, so, yeah, I don't know. I just got into it through him. And um, Is that unusual yeah, for an Aussie to be into, like, American football? Or is it common for – I have no idea. I've never been to Australia before. No, it's pretty rare. I mean, I guess following in like the NFL and stuff is growing, but definitely people being into college football is pretty obscure here. Okay. But, okay. Um, yeah, I was just curious. Yeah. Yeah, I'm surprised yeah. <laughs> that like, uh, over in Australia, you know about College Station, Texas. So that's wild. Yep. Um, cool. So maybe, I mean, what's the riding like in Texas? What do you got mm. down there? God, right now it's hot. Today, was, the heat index was 115. Um, you know... Texas is big, so it's hard to talk about Texas and just like sum it up in a little, you know, sentence. It's the second largest state in the United States. Um, so I can just probably talk more accurately about, you know, where I am. And yeah. it's just flat. 
it's flat. Um, <laughs> it's, I mean, it's, it's honestly like not great riding, uh, but we are lucky because from where I live, there's 45 minutes. There's the Sam Houston national forest. That's where I posted that, um, route on bikepacking.com, the Sam Houston restaurant tour, which again was, I mean, it's like, I don't even know. It's like 50 miles or something. It's, and there's two restaurants on the way. So you can just, you know, drink a beer and eat a pizza or whatever you want to do. But again, it was gear. I mean, there's like 8 million people in a hundred mile radius of Sam Houston national forest. So I'm like, there's a lot of people who are wanting to get into it. And this is a great introduction to it. So, you know, I kind of down talk Texas. I'm a, I'm a Texans live here my whole life, but, um, whenever you get out and you start, uh, you know, exploring and seeing what other States and what different areas have to offer, um, you know, you just get jealous. And I've been here 40 years, so I'm, I'm ready for a change. Yep. Um, God, that's just so bad. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I have heard you talk a few times on the show about uh, Big Bend. Uh, yeah. Is, is that in Texas? or is that It is. Okay, so I was about to go there, actually. I mean, Big, Big Bend <laughs> is the huge caveat to to Texas for me, or one of the, one of the big ones. Um and I'm only talking about the natural and, and what bothers me about Texas is a lack of public lands. Like we less than 3% is public land in Texas. So, you know, Texas is great on a lot of levels, but if you like to recreate outdoors, it, it, it that's where it kind of stops being great. But big bend is on the border, the West border of Texas, uh, borders is, I mean, it's where the Rio Grande is where Mexico and Texas meet. So, um, that area is just so, incredible it's where the northern and the southern continents collided and so the geology there is just insane there's you're in the middle of nowhere i mean the nearest town is hours away the nearest hospital is like six hours away um and so your night sky it's it's not designated as a night sky i can't remember what they call it um but i mean you just see forever i mean you're seeing ufos at night and during the day you're seeing some of the most amazing it's like you're on mars during the during the day so (laughs) it's just it's incredible man it's uh it's like a million acres of uh just rugged it's what you picture. If you watch a Western or you picture Texas, you're picturing Big Ben. You know what I'm okay. saying? I mean, that's yeah, like yeah. where the real cowboys were and like the real hard men. Um, I'm actually interested. What I've talked about this a little bit, and with COVID, it's been put on hold. But um, I'm going to be hosting some kind of event, ride, something at Big Ben. We're actually doing some – we're working on it right now, hashing out the details. Um, but the idea is I really want to introduce people to – um, you know, the culture that was there, the people that developed it, um, the, the geography, the geology and just everything, the flora, the fauna, like, like get to yep. know your environment and, and respect it and appreciate it. So yeah, I, it's, it's, uh, I have a deep love for Big Ben and it is in Texas. <laughs> okay, cool. That's it's awesome. 10, it's 10 hours away from me. Yep. Okay. 10 hours. Dri- yeah. Drive? 10 hour drive. That's the thing wow. is I can get to, I can get to the mountains in <laughs> Arkansas faster than I can get to, and it depends on what part of Big Bend because if you go to like Big Bend National Park, that's a twelve hour drive. So wow, yeah, Texas Crazy. is big. Texas yeah. is big. <laughs> that's huge. <laughs> cool. Um, well, from there, I'd love to hear a bit, I guess, about your your background in bikepacking because obviously I think that's sort of shaped. Um, your like I guess it shaped what led into you starting the podcast. Obviously, oh, so sure. 
um, yeah, like tell us a bit about how you got into to bikes, bike packing, and sort of like what led you up to the point yeah. now. Just a perfect storm. I grew up uh, in the outdoors, specifically in Boy Scouts, um, and I even became a Boy Scout leader and led trips to Colorado and stuff um, as I became older. And uh, so I just had a love for the outdoors, but not a love for hiking or walking. <laughs> just too, I have ADD, man. I gotta, you know, things are gonna be happening faster for me. Um, and I'll short, I'll, I'll make this story short, but like, I got into like drug use and abuse at a young age and like went to jail a whole bunch and like really just kind of went down a bad path. And like when I decided I was going to rehab and kind of turn my life around at the age of 21, um, I kind of rekindled my passion with bike packing or sorry, biking, cycling, specifically uh, mountain biking, got into racing of oh, terrible, not fast at all. Um, then I got into like the endurance, the six hour, the 12 hour, the 24 hour stuff. And I'm like, okay, okay. And then like ride the divide came out. Um, and crazy enough, like in my little small town, uh, Billy Rice, I don't know if you're familiar with him. Yep. He, yeah. So he was the first person to yo-yo the tour divide, which is North to South and then South to North, um, yep. all in one go. And then he also tandemed it with his daughter, his 16 year old daughter. So, yep. you know, but, and he lives here. Um, oh, cool. Yeah. And then we've had some other people that have ridden on the divide and, and got into bike packing. And so I just kind of got lucky that, uh, you know, ride the divide came out and I had some some friends in the cycling world that were getting into it at the same time. And, and yeah, it was a no brainer for me. I mean, once I saw that you could put your shit on your bike and go get lost in the woods, I mean, it was game over. I mean, what, yep. we don't need to talk about anything else. <laughs> <laughs> I know what I'm doing for the next, whatever many years I got before I'm dead. I mean, it's, yeah. you know, it, like there's nothing better than that, man. I mean, no, the ultimate absolutely. freedom, uh, the, 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 how empowering it is to know that you can put everything you need and you're capable of going out into a wilderness environment where there's no one around you. There's no hospitals or McDonald's or anything. And you're having the time of your life, man. I mean, that's can't it. put a value on that. No, for sure. And for me, it's like, it's the perfect, um, it's just like the perfect pace because you can go fast enough and travel far enough that you can, you can cover so much ground. You watch like the the landscapes around you change quite rapidly but it's right. also still like slow enough that you take everything in you know like it's yeah. like 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 hiking i love hiking don't get me wrong but like it's it's a lot slower pace um but i th i still think you get the like the intimacy of hiking but with the ability to cover more ground um i don't know that's what gets it for me anyways but um, oh yeah i mean that's where my add i mean yeah you, i mean you said it right i mean uh, you're going at the exact right speed and you're doing like, I mean, there's human powered. You just can't. Yeah. There's something yeah. so empowering about doing, I mean, you're driving in a car or something. It's like, huh, who cares? You know, yep. when you're pedaling your bike and you're doing it. Um, and at the end of the day, whenever you're watching the stars or sitting around a campfire and you're there because you know, you brought yourself there. It's a much better feeling. You feel really good about yourself. Yep. I do. Absolutely. And I think, like you say, I think like that effort sort of connects you with the landscape. And so like, if, like you say, if you go like up a mountain and if you just drive, like, I don't feel like you have to consider it in the same way because it doesn't require any effort. Um, whereas if you pedal it or you hike up that mountain, then you get to the top and that 
view or that like spot or whatever you're just so connected to it because of the effort you've invested in getting there and then like you say at the end of the day like sitting at camp or whatever and just like that satisfaction of being like i got myself here like it's i don't know it's unbeatable i love it man i just (laughs) took a friend on her first uh bike packing trip and uh it was just fun like this person, I mean, she'd ridden a bike like eight times, you know, and I was like, Hey, let's go into the desert and go bikepacking. <laughs> but awesome. I, I tell, I promise you, you can do it. Like people don't realize how capable they are. Right. They just, they, they don't even know that they can do that, but I know what I'm doing. I knew everything was fine and we went and we did it. And it's like, when it's done is how do you feel about yourself now? Like, how are you going to take that back into, you know, when you're having a stressful day at work or whatever, like, you know, you can handle some shit, you know, it just changes your mind frame whenever you approach, um, I'm getting a little too spiritual, but yeah, no, no, I love it. Welcome to the bike church. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, That's awesome. Um, I guess you mentioned before that you have a, like you got a family, you got responsibilities and that sort of stuff. And and you, I guess that's limited your ability to get out and race and stuff. Um, but I think you were training for an event earlier in the year before mm. COVID yes. happened, right? Yeah, um, it was. Can you tell us a bit about that, what the event was? Yeah, I'd be happy to. So, I mean, my bike bikepacking racing experience uh, is very easy to summarize. In 2018, I participated in the Grand Gravel 500, which actually starts and finishes here in College Station, Texas. Uh, Billy Rice is the race director for that. Um, So it's cool to race one of his rides. And because he's Billy Rice, he can usually attract some some cool people. One of my favorites is Hal Russell. He that's where I met Hal. Uh, Hal. Yeah. Hal and I he was my like he was my uh, bunny. Like we were just hopping back and forth over each other the whole thing. He wound up beating me, by the way. So (laughs) Um, but yeah, that was my first dude. I I remember uh, Jose Bermudez. I don't know if you know him. He's he's done some cool stuff in bikepacking. He's a local as well. And, uh, so I was getting some advice from him before the race and he's like, man, you're not racing it. You're touring it. <laughs> I mean, when I told him everything <laughs> I was taking, you know, yeah. and, but I approached it like, I didn't care. I just want to finish. Like, like you said, with the family and the full-time job and everything, I, I didn't, I, I couldn't train like as much as I would want to. Um, so all I cared about was finishing Like I wanted to start it and I wanted to finish it. And that's what I did. And it hurt and it was really hard, but I know that I can ride my bike 500 miles now. So that was cool. So fast forward to this year and I actually had an interview, a big podcast interview. I'm not going to say who it was, but, uh, lined up and it fell through like a month before I was supposed to interview this person. And, that opened up my schedule to do the grand gravel. Cause I was going to interview him rather than do the, do the, um, race. And so like, I wasn't prepared at all. Um, but I started training really hard for it. And what I wanted to do for that one, and I still want to do it is, uh, just go all out. Like, I want to know what it feels like. Cause I talked to guys like you. I mean, I haven't got into your story yet, but, um, I know, I mean, I know that you have to get yourself. You really have to find where your limits are and keep pushing past them and just see how your body's going to react. Are you going to hallucinate? Are you going to, you know, get your tendon, uh, your Achilles that flares up? I mean, what's going to happen? Um, and certainly when I did the race the first time I had all kinds of ailments, but yeah, I'm just, I wonder, there's a question mark. What happens when I absolutely gut myself with no consideration for finishing, 
I don't care. I mean, I, of course I want to finish. Right. But like, that's not the priority. The priority is just like go as hard as you can for as long as you can until you fall over or, you know, safely fall over in a ditch. Yep. <laughs> so yeah, that one. And that was an interesting thing because, uh, the official race was canceled because of COVID. And there was like, I think two people or three, there was only two or three people that even lined up on an unofficial race. Um, okay. so it just, and, and, I didn't know what was going on with the virus and everything. And as a father, I made a decision to be home with my family. And I think that was the right call. Yeah, that makes sense. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, the race is like we've heard before, the races aren't going anywhere. So exactly. That's it. Um, but that's cool. And I, dude, I got so much respect for that. And I think like sort of to speak to your, I guess your, your initial experience with the race in terms of just like wanting to finish. Um, I think that's one of the coolest things about bikepacking events is that they can be like whatever you want them to be. And I love that people like Billy, um, are who, who are like, you know, like really important people within the sport are putting the energy in to create events like this and using their platforms to like bring people in you know um yeah because like they do have that opportunity to like influence people and and get them into the sport and like creating an event with an established route and putting other people out there at the same time like it just makes it so much more accessible for people i think and you know it got you out the door and i I don't think it it don't think it matters like how fast or how slow you want to go you go you got out there and you rode the course and you challenged yourself, right? And now, like, that's given you the experience um, to decide, okay, well... Go now from I, there. Yeah, now I want to try it this way and, yeah. and see what happens. Like, it's great. I love yeah. it. Yeah. I mean, I love what's happening in this sport overall. I hope that we, uh, you and I and everybody else can keep it what we want it to be. I mean, bikepacking has some very grassroots. Um, I mean, it's so, so grassroots, you know, and you have people like Billy Rice, it's not a big corporation or whatever, a company that's put on this race. It's a guy, you know, it's a guy that's just passionate that rode his bike, a fucking shit ton that found a route that put it together, that did the work. He's not making money or getting rich on this shit. I mean, he might make a little money, but I guarantee you he isn't rich. Uh, at least not from that. Uh, (laughs) 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 anyway, but uh, I just, uh, I don't know, man. I just, uh, I love so far mostly what I'm seeing from the community and how what you were saying about people are using their platforms and doing good things with them to, to build the community and to make it a good one. Cause I think yep. there's so much, it's, it's going to grow so much more. Like, like I was saying, you know, so how, you know, you and I and other people, we all have a, a choice. Like we're going to get to determine kind of how this thing evolves and grows and what kind of sport is it going to be, you know, and what kind of people are going to want to come and hang out and, and ride and what's the vibe going to be and all that kind of stuff. You know, I mean, I don't know that's important to me. I don't know if you, you think about that much, but no, having a podcast, sure. if, if it's important to, yeah. No, no, absolutely. I think, um, like it's such an interesting sport because it's very young first of all and so like people like you and I have like a huge potential to influence it in telling the stories but i think also as well because of the the nature of it especially the racing side is so underground that they're like outside of you know like a few things like ride the divide and you you talk about that film and like that's that's most people's starting point into the sport because there's so few mm-hmm. little like windows that have t- 
turned the lens onto the sport and given people an opportunity to see into it. And so that's absolutely what I'm trying to do with the podcast is to try and tell stories of different people um, and connect people into the sport through those stories. Um, And I I think it's probably a a good point in time to to sort of note, um, I guess talking about our platforms um, is especially with everything going on at the moment is that using the platform to like actively try and like help diversify the sport and tell stories from different perspectives, because Mm. let's face it, like cycling is a very white male dominated sport. And so white. (laughs) Yeah. And so like doing these interviews and telling, being able to offer these different perspectives, I think it's really important uh, definitely to me to, you know, try and talk to women, talk to people of color and like share those perspectives and and help people see that like this isn't just a sport for white men and that like as a community, we want to diversify. We want to make it more accessible to other people. Um, And I think, yeah, like sharing those stories goes goes a long way. I couldn't agree more, man, like a thousand percent. I'm I'm I feel like really grateful to be in a position to even have a voice that anybody's listening to, you know, and the fact that I have that is not something I'm going to squander, you know, like I have two daughters. I talk about it a lot. So, um, and, and the other thing I talk about a lot is like, it's weird because there's so many good women (laughs) athlete and, and, you know, in bikepacking, I mean, which is where we reside. I mean, it's not hard to find them to interview. So this isn't like complicated. I will say with people of color, it's harder, right? Um, I, I've been on, you know, I know black lives matter is, is obviously like a big topic that's going on. How, how much is that infecting, uh, in, in fact, impacting or how much are y'all aware of that in Australia? Um, it's definitely like, we're very aware of it. Um, we ha- have an interest, I guess it's, it's interesting here because we're a very white society. Um, obviously like indigenous, or not obviously, right. but indigenous Australians are are uh, people of color. But like our history, which is 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 fairly similar uh, in colonial terms to to America's in terms of historically the way we have treated um, First Nations people um, and like really just decimated their population mm. um, throughout our history. And there's That's- still still in a lot of cases like you know don't have the same opportunities and access um, to like the outdoors. Um, and so I would say they're, they're extremely underrepresented in, in the outdoor industry, but um, is probably a much whiter population overall than it is. America. No, I mean, it's, um, oh, oh, you mean your overall population? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I'm with you. No, I thought you were going to about to say about uh, the cycling and the outdoor industry, but no. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Australia, yeah. other than your indigenous uh, Aborigine. Is that, is that yeah. Aboriginal? Okay, thank yeah, you. Yeah, okay. So, yeah, uh, Aborigine is sort of, um, yeah, considered a slur. Um, okay, thank you. Saying it hey, you never no, know until no, no. you know. <laughs> that's it. That's it. And and I think so long as people are, are willing to, like, ask and be corrected and take that on board, like, that's that's all we can do. We learn, yeah. right? Um, well, let's talk about that a little bit. I mean, uh, the reason why I started a podcast 
my secondary reason is to get people out in the outdoors. My first reason was to promote conversation. Like I'm a huge fan of podcasts. And what I realized is that, you know, if you're listening to just the news or a Facebook post or whatever, you're not getting like a full, like I just always seek out the best information. I've said that almost my whole life, like seek out the best information. You know, like if you're going to, if you're going to like look into something like write, read some books, like who's the expert, like let's talk to those people. And I'm not certainly proclaiming to be the expert, but what I want to do is promote conversation, the, the ability to just sit down with someone and talk to them. And even if you disagree with them, like listen to what they have to say, talk about it and i mean i would i had i had a conversation recently it had nothing to do with bikes and my mind was changed you know i mean you just you go in with an open mind to something but yeah it's i don't know it's just scary i don't like the way that people are communicating now ultimately like that's the thing that really bothers me one of the big things that bothers me and i think that it's the one thing that can keep us together and unified is communication and it's not always easy we we live in a world that is like stacked against you um you know, advertisers and media and stuff, they want, you know, Facebook, they want you to have opposing views because that's what keeps you there. That's what keeps you engaged and fired up. And that's what makes them money. Right. So like, that's, I don't know. I hate all that, you know? Yeah. And I wanted to be an antidote to that. I wanted to promote good conversation. Like, so whenever you talk about, you know, what you just said about, you know, Hey, you never know. You say, no, that's what, I need to be able to talk to someone. I don't, I've never been to Australia, but I need to be yep. able to talk to you and be like, oh, okay, cool. I didn't know that, you know? And like, it's okay that I didn't know. Like, I can't know everything. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. No, for, for sure. I'm, go- I'm going to church a lot with you tonight, Lewis. <laughs> <laughs> you have a couple of too many of these whiskeys. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's great. Like you said, like, and I love that this is like, I love that this can just be a conversation because I think it's so like normally like I like really conversational interviews but they still kind of inevitably end up being like interviewer and interviewee and kind of like have that dynamic whereas I think we've just kind of stripped that dynamic out and we can just chat which is awesome so what do you want to chat about I don't know I well I want to I want to hear more um I just want to hear more about like how you got to this about me you want to talk about me Tell us, well, tell us about how you got to the point where you were like, I'm starting a podcast. Like, how did that happen? Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I was researching obviously a little bit more about you and I wonder if you and I followed a similar trajectory. Like I know you used to have a blog um, and that kind of converted into the podcast and I was looking for like, I have a job and all this stuff and I'm pretty well like established in my life. Um, But okay, so now I'm established and now it's like, okay, well, what can I give back? You know, what can I do? And what, like my job is fine, but I don't like love it. You know, like it doesn't do a lot for me in terms of like, I feel like, I don't know, like uh, Steve Jobs said it best. I want to leave a ding on the universe, you know, like I want, like, what are you going to leave behind? You know, and like uh, the outdoors is something that's brought so much. I mean, I talked about a little bit earlier about my drug use and abuse and all that. And, and the outdoors and bikes and everything, that's what saved me. That is what has become my new drug and my new passion. And that's what I put everything into, you know, and now I'm addicted to that. And it's been, it's been a great thing. And so I want to be able to share that with people. And so it's just been a matter of how I've done a blog, I've done some YouTube videos and, um, I actually had started, so then the podcast came along, like I said, and I, I started to really value other people's podcasts and understand 
how important it is to have these conversations and to be able to put that out there. And it, and it, I really believe it makes a difference. Like they, a lot of podcasts have shaped me for a better person. You know, it really opened my mind and introduced me ideas or ways of thinking that I wasn't accustomed to. And, and that's been good for me. Right. So I just saw the value there and I actually created a separate podcast called, excuse me, uh, not totally inaccurate with another Texan. And we were just, it was, it was kind of silly. Uh, I think we were trying to break down the stereotypes of what it was to be a Texan, you know, and, um, <laughs> cause there, there's definitely like some stereotypes out there. Um, yep. but we recorded a couple episodes and it was complete trash. Um, never released them, never will. I won't ever listen to them again. They were terrible. And, uh, <laughs> and then, so, I mean, it just was like happenstance. Like I was going to, uh, North Carolina for a wedding, and like I said, I've been doing blogs and stuff like this, and I kind of had the podcast, I had the equipment, and I was like, you know what? Why don't I just like see who's in Asheville, North Carolina, and see if they want to record a podcast? So I made a list of people I'd be interested in. The first one I contacted was Greg Hardy, and he said yes, and I freaked out. And I was like, holy shit, I got to interview this guy. And, that, and the rest is history. You know, I mean, people, I didn't, I didn't think anyone would listen to it, really. And uh, they did, you know, and so here we are. Hi. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Yeah, no, it's funny. It's funny. Like, I've definitely, there's been a few people where I've, like, you know, wanted to reach out to interview and, like, did not know how it was going to go. Like, people who I hold in fairly high esteem and, um, and, you know, like someone like Lucky Morton and stuff, who's like a professional cyclist and was just like, you know, fuck it. I'm going to shoot him a message. Like if he says no, he says no. If he says yes, then sweet. Yeah. And he was just like, yeah, sweet. Let's do it. I was like, uh, <laughs> <laughs> shit. <laughs> yeah, that's crazy, right? I've said the same thing so many times to friends of mine. Like, I mean, even Greg Hardy, he responded in like two minutes. Like he was like, yeah, I'm definitely down you're number one. You've never met me. Nobody knows me. I don't have a race pedigree that you can look up. I'm not sponsored by anybody. I'm just some random guy with a microphone. And you just said yes to me. Like, that's crazy, right? Yeah. Equally as crazy was Leo Wilcox at number 10. That's a crazy story. Let me, can I tell you? Yeah, yeah. Go for it, please. So I just happened to be in uh, uh, Northwest Arkansas on a family vacation and I'm on Instagram, of course, because I'm addicted to it. And I see that Lael is there to present her film, I Just Want to Ride, I believe it was, at yep. this film festival. I was like, holy shit. So, of course, I sent her a DM. And she was like, oh, yeah, I definitely do it. I'm like, oh, my gosh. I mean, I, I pooped my pants hard. <laughs> <laughs> and then I pooped them again on the way to go interview her. You know, it was like yeah. crazy, dude. I mean, that's just like when I started the podcast – to me, I was like, if I could interview Lael at any point, like, you know, like that's, that's as good as it gets. And to have it happen in episode 10, when I barely knew what I was doing and I still barely know what I'm doing, um, was pretty incredible. And I don't yeah. think I messed it up too bad. So I was happy about that. <laughs> yeah, no, I get that feeling. Like I know, like listening back to a couple of my early, early episodes when I was just, like still really figuring things out, I was like, Ooh, I'm, like, yeah. I'm still, still not great, but I've definitely come a long way. So <laughs> Yeah. But, um, I mean, it's, it's, it's fun. It's a fun art. Like, and that's what I've realized is that, um, 
it's not as easy as just hopping on. And that's what I learned from that first one. Like me and this buddy, we were, we were so good and we would palaver over a campfire for hours and we would have these great conversations and then we try to record it and it just didn't work for whatever reason. But I've learned that there's an art to the conversation and I'm interested in getting better. Like I'm always trying to get better. I listen to myself and I'm like, I used to not listen to my own podcast, but I've started to make myself listen to it so that yeah. I can be a, a student of it and like, okay, how can I get better? Right. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, it's, it's really interesting. And I think it's like, I consider myself a fairly like socially awkward person. Um, and <laughs> me too. It's, it's funny. I think like having, <laughs> like doing the podcast, I don't know what gave me like the idea is like I should do this because like I'm horrible at talking but like it's actually made me a better conversationalist like I like I'm better at holding conversations with people now because I'm kind of have to be really conscious of it and like figure uh, out how to like you know like steer conversations and like lead and like that sort of thing and it's and like, listen that's the hard yeah. part right because you got to listen to what they're saying and then also be ready to like either respond to that or divert the conversation to where maybe i'm giving away all my secrets oh my gosh <laughs> <laughs> oh I'm, I'm writing this down now. oh my I'm gosh stealing, yeah, I take the notes. <laughs> i'm stealing all your stuff <laughs> steal away man i mean that's what i'm saying it's just it's fun to get better at it you know it's like i've learned that it's an art and it's a skill and it's great to believe in conversation and want to be open-minded and listen and all that. And then it's another thing to actually do it and to like be in a situation where you have to talk and you have to be on and you have to have a question ready to go. Um, yep. But you need to be lit. I don't know. It's uh, it's harder than I thought it was going to be. Yep. Um, but it's also become fun. Like I love the challenge of it, you know, um, and everyone is different, you know, like every time I hop on the vibe is always a little bit different. The conversation always flows differently and it always yep. is, it's always fun for me. Yeah, I will. So like, I will say the one area where we may differ is like, I'm socially awkward. Anytime it's like me, another person, and then you add one more person. If there's like three people, that's when I'm like, okay, this is awkward. But yeah. if it's just me and another person, I've always been able to conversate really well because I don't like meaningless conversations. I get really bored. And like just having these like surface level conversations have never really interested me. And so whenever you're in a group, a lot of times that's the dynamic. At least, for me, at least I feel like, and yep. maybe that's just my social awkwardness coming out. Um, but I've always been very interested in people and understand their stories because I think they're important to help shape your understanding of the world. Like, how did you view this? How did yep. you experience this? You know, like uh, I, I, I'm, I'm not naive enough to believe that my experience is the only one that matters, right? So, like, how I, I like to get to know people. I always have. I have an insatiable curiosity, and so in that way podcasting has been a very natural fit for me. Yeah. The unnatural part is that I know that thousands of people are going to fucking listen to this and that <laughs> is not okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, no, I, I love that. I love that. And, um, I guess that like idea of, yeah, like other people's stories and other people's perspectives. Cause I think going back to what you were saying before about like, like leaving your dent on the world or whatever. And like, I guess that's kind of like in a way what I'm trying to do with the podcast is like share my perspectives on things, but because like, I don't know everything. And so being out to share it through this media with other people, not only am I able to learn from them, 
but I'm able to, I guess, share my perspectives in a way that are also informed by other people's perspectives. Um, and I really, as well, I, I, I that's what I think what I really love about your podcast too, and the way, like you were saying about getting into people's minds and stuff. And I love that because, you know, while you do, you interview obviously like a lot of, like backpack racers and I think you do like a great job of like getting into their minds and asking the perspectives of just about like what makes them tick and what how their their heads work to like I guess like what it takes to sort of push themselves to the elite level of this sport and I think you do a great job with that um but at the same time it's like that's not exclusively where your interviews go and like you're also talking like you know you've also hosted guests who were like first time is like talking about like their very first experiences um oh i love that yeah yeah it's so cool i will i mean that's that's kind of where i want to be is i want to i want to use like the big names as inspirations and 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 kind of be like a person that someone could look to and say okay yeah i got a family i got a full-time job i got all these responsibilities um but you know you can still go and fucking do the shit you know like i don't know i i uh i like to fill that gap i feel like there's a bridge there it's like you know we're at home and right on our single track and then there's a fucking tour divide no there's there's a there's a lot in between there so let's talk about that you know yeah yeah absolutely well you know it's funny it's like well it's not funny it's like you realize that you're blowing my mind even that you even listen to my podcast like that's weird (laughs) <laughs> why is that weird like you, you're offering know. like amazing content like it's like because you content, won like. the tour divide dude you won the tour divide you don't need to listen to me i don't have anything to say no you absolutely you're listening to my guests that's what you're doing no, <laughs> I, 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 but the thing is like you facilitate them telling their story and like you have to ask the right questions to get that information out of them so like like you you create the platform for those stories to be told in and so like it relies on you as as much as it does on them and their experiences and um i appreciate that i try to keep it you know my thing is like to to let i just want to share other people's stories yeah but for sure like you say i mean some of me is going to come across i got a loud mouth i talk a lot and i got a lot of opinions so every once in a while they're going to slip out yeah no, no, it, and I think that's what makes makes it so great, and what also just like the podcast platform so great. Like, um, you know, like we were sort of saying, like I'm just I'm always trying to learn. Like that's that's like my mo, and like that's on a personal level, on like an athletic level, and so like listening to to podcasts, um, especially like bikepacking ones, it it help it helps me grow and improve like on a personal level, and the fact that I can like pop a podcast in while I'm at work is like. I think the greatest thing because I can I can ride around like doing my deliveries at work and learn every day, right? And um, oh, I love them. I, I mean, you're doing housework, you're mowing the lawn, yeah. you're going whatever. I mean, uh, yeah, my mind needs to be stimulated quite a, a bit. So yeah, they're they're great because it allows me to yeah I feel like I'm being productive while I'm also doing the dishes, which is also productive. Double productivity. <laughs> that's what I'm into. Yeah. So what do you uh, what do you do for a living? I'm curious. I'm always curious what people do for a living that do this kind of stuff, especially at like a high level because it takes a lot of time, right? So like, yeah, what do you do? 
Okay, uh, so I'm a I'm a bike courier. Um, oh fuck yeah! Yeah, so you know, like there's there's a, there's it's cool. Like there's a few of us uh, out in the bikepacking world. Obviously, Sofian, um, Kai Edel, who who races like a really high level. There's there's a handful of us that have that are still like working working messengers. Obviously, it's a it's a weird industry these days. It's kind of on the decline um, in a lot of ways, but um, yeah, I run a small, like a small company, a small independent company here. That's that's my company. I run it with, uh, like I have a business partner and then a couple of employees. Um, that's so cool. How long have you been doing that? Um, the business is five years or six years old now. Um, and then I've been a career for, I don't know, 11 or 12. Wow. How old are you? Uh, it was my 31st birthday yesterday. 31st? <laughs> yeah. Oh, happy birthday. Thanks, man. Nice. Yeah. I got nine years on you, God damn it. <laughs> I. But one thing that, so let me go back one more step. Why did you get into Bike Messenger? So you were, you're, uh, that was 11 years ago, you said, so it was, you were 20. So you got out of high oh. school. That was oh, basically must, like your first be, job. Must be, must be a little bit longer than that. Basically, yeah. So I finished high school. Um, my first job, first couple of jobs were bike shop jobs. Um, I sort of like my entry into bikes was like riding to school, um, like every day, hail or shine. Like it was really, I could take the bus to school, but it was like really kind of convoluted. Like I thought I'd walk quite a long way to the bus stop and then ride the bus and then walk quite a long way to school from the, the nearest bus stop. And so it was like, it just took a long time. It was, it was way quicker to ride my bike. Um, and it just meant I could sleep in longer. Um, <laughs> and so just got in the habit of doing that. And then obviously like if you wake up and it's raining, cause you know, I wouldn't check the weather. I was like a kid. Um, but if I woke up and it was raining, like if I then decided, Oh, I'll take the bus, then I was going to be late. So just always, always rode like pretty much like no matter what. And that's um, great training just, actually. Yeah. It, and it kind of just like set me up like in, into this mindset of, of using the bike as a tool and like the, it's, it kind of taught me that like, you know, riding in the rain was fine. Like it wasn't a big deal. Um, and obviously like gave me a level of independence and stuff, but, um, yeah, like I finished, I finished high school and then I, I just saw like, it was like literally like a sign in like a local, a local bike shop window that said they were looking for like a, just like a, someone, to, I don't know, whatever, like job wanted. And, um, yeah, applied, got the job. And so first, like I probably spent like a, a year or two, in a couple of different shops and then um i'd made some friends with some of the local couriers and i ended up like leaving a job i just wasn't getting along with the people um in that particular shop and then um yeah one who of the, the who one wouldn't of the like you i don't understand you're so <laughs> nice <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I so, I'm, like so I want to ask you a question about couriering, couriering, yep. couriering, uh, that I didn't ask Sofian when I interviewed him and I'm still upset about it, but yep. how, how, well, I'm not upset about it, but I, I wish I would have asked him. Um, I, it's so f cool, right? Like you never are not on a bike hardly. Like you sleep not on a bike and you shit not on a bike. But other than that, you wake up and you're riding your bike and then you got to train and, you know, then you go do a race. So uh, how does that like impact or how does it facilitate your training? Your just like, I don't know, the bike is like a part of you at this point, right? Like it's just everything. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, especially having been doing it for as long as I have now, like my body is so conditioned to just like get up and get on the bike. And like, um, I don't think, I don't think like work K's are particularly like productive training or anything like they don't make me fast but they just condition me you know like my right. body is used to just wake up and you get on the bike and you do it again well it's your you body know? and your mind yeah. too like you're just uh, like it's it's become it has to become like just like second nature for you to just always be on your bike which has to help whenever you're racing i don't know i'm putting words in your mouth no that's i mean that's pretty much it um but so for me, like when I decided that like I really wanted to, I guess, get serious about it and sort of get serious with racing. And that was sort of at the point where I was like gearing up. I'd done a couple of like events and races and then was gearing up for the 2018 divide. And I was like, right, okay, like I'm good at this. Like I have a really good endurance just from work and doing long rides because that's what I enjoy. But like I need to figure out how to get fast you know like and so i worked um i got a coach um this lady jess douglas who's like a 24-hour um world when, and national when, when was that that was like the start of 2018 um, oh wow yeah oh wow um, so you hired her specifically for tour divide training yeah okay. um and so yeah jess is a uh, like three or four time world 24 hour um solo champ like mountain bike um and she's dabbled in a bit of ultra stuff as well um and i sort of looked at her background i guess the thing was like i wanted to have a coach that would understand what i'm trying to do because mm -hmm. i didn't think there was like many people out there that would um no yeah and and you know so i i really have the confidence that jess like has the experience and has the knowledge to sort of like bring out and I think that the main reason that I wanted to have a coach was that I didn't want to overtrain, you know, I was, I was worried about like, like, I guess like I wanted the specifics of like, how do I get fast, but also how do I keep track of everything to know that between like my training and work that like, it's a, it's a manageable amount and I'm not going to overdo it and put myself in a hole or injure myself um, or anything like that. And, and mm -hmm. Jess did a really great job at that. And the way she, she looked at it and sort of the way we worked through that training was that like you have, uh, I'm sorry, I like, I have the endurance, right? Like just from, from work. And so that's not something that I really need to work on. And so most of my training was like high intensity stuff to to like i guess like fine tune the top end so if you sort of think about like your riding ability as a spectrum of like the sort of slow speed endurance um just grind it out all day like i had that so like it di didn't make any sense for me to go to like wake up in the morning at 6 a.m and go out and just like plot around ride for you know three hours and then come home and then go to work and plot around doing deliveries for another eight hours like it's kind of pointless. It's just more of the same. And to a point, like that's not actually going to get you anywhere. It's not going to actually right. improve. Like if I'm, if I'm already doing, I mean, it's not eight hours of riding, but say I'm doing like four or five hours of riding in an eight hour work day, like adding a couple more onto that isn't really going to get me anywhere. So what we were doing is like, 
like higher intensity interval uh, and tempo workouts. Um, and that sort of sharpened like the top end and made me like strong and fast and allowed me to just sustain like higher speeds more comfortably for longer periods. So it was just basically making, making me faster. Um, and then um, a big focus on like, I guess overall body strength. So like core workouts, um, I run quite a bit as well. I go, I go through waves with, with running, but it was definitely running quite a bit, um, to sort of like try and keep things balanced. Um, you look like you run when I see a picture <laughs> of your freaking legs. I'm like, that dude runs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I checked out your legs. Yep. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, but <laughs> We all do it, goddammit. Yeah, I know, for sure. <laughs> it's like, that dude could fucking ride a bike or run. Yeah, anyway. Go. Um, but yeah, so basically, like, I really love Jess's approach, and it really fit, so it fit into, like, my philosophy um, and how I wanted to approach things well. So it was, like, a, a really perfect match, which I think I got lucky with, because I could see situations where you start working with a coach, and it just, like, doesn't fit. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like you butt heads or you don't see eye to eye or whatever, but we, we really had sort of like the same approach and, um, are you still, is she still your coach? Um, or Je- Jess, is Jess a guy or girl? I actually don't know. A w- woman, woman. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, uh, so no, not currently, but I did like, I don't have a coach full time. So sh- she coached me for six months leading up yeah, to right. tour divide. And then um, she coached me for like a four or five month block leading up to Colorado trail race. And, and like, that's uh, it. So that's oh, usually, cool. I, I yeah. wonder, I mean, I think, I wonder how many people know that. Cause like I, I, you watch like professional athletes and they have a coach all the time, but you, I mean, you're on your own dime. I think probably a lot of it, maybe I actually have no idea. Uh, <laughs> but I mean, like you're not a professional athlete, so you just hire a coach to get you ready for an event. You're like, Hey, that's what I'm trying to do. These are my goals. Here's where I'm at. You know, get me there. Is that kind of the idea? That's exactly it. Like, I basically just look that, like, I want to have um, a training block to sort of, like, sharpen my tools, like, leading up um, and sort of, like, build the, build up that fitness leading up to an event. And I think I am lucky with work that it it sort of provides me, like, an incredible base. So I don't have to be, like, okay, like, a year out from an event, I'm going to, you know, slowly work up from zero right and work up yeah your baseline has to be amazing that's it i mean your fucking ass has to be like leather you know your (laughs) body is just so used to being on a bike yeah Yeah. so your baseline has to be amazing yeah yeah that's it like you know like i probably start from 50 or 60 and then work up from there you know like at the start of a training box i don't have it's funny i mean look at you and look at uh sophie on you know i mean y'all are both messengers and i i I don't know I'm, i'm looking forward to talking to him again and 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 finding that correlation or parallel between being a bike messenger and doing well in ultra endurance events because i you know to me in my mind again i'm not either one either a tour divide uh, winner or a courier but um just your familiarity and your comfortableness being on a bike as just second nature has to be good like it has to yeah. play a role yeah well he- he- here's a cool anecdote for you is like um, as I said, like, I don't always have a coach, um, just sort of like leading up to like my big A events, but the start of this year for Victoria divide, um, which is 
my race. It's um, 500, it was 570 kilometers this year. So I don't know what that is in miles, maybe like 300 miles or something. Yeah, it's 300 something. I looked it up. Yeah, it's like 360 yeah, yeah. or something. I don't know. Um, but how much elevation? Oh, it is like <laughs> 11, 11,000 meters. So I don't know what that is, like 30. 33, 35, yeah, yeah, something. something like that. Yeah. 35,000 feet. Yep. So a, yeah, a something lot. Silly. Yeah, Serious. yeah, a lot. Yeah. Um, and honestly, like outside of work, I hadn't really been riding my bike um, hardly at all, like for <laughs> a little while, like leading up to that and just got on my bike at the start and rode for um, 44 hours and took like a 30 minute nap in the middle and or not even a 30 20 minute 20 minute nap and yeah 20 minute nap or something in the middle and that was it and just like that you know I, I i did not ride fast at least by my standards like i was kind of just plodding along but i think the the mental uh resilience that i've i've sort of built up through experience on the bike and experience through racing and that baseline fitness from work was enough to just like just get me through like sort of stubbing so, my way through with like pretty much no training outside of just work are we talking about the victoria divide or the tour divide that was victoria divide yeah that's okay i thought that's what you're talking about so this is the race that you created 2019 was the first year it kicked off right yes yep yeah so two runs. and so now. you won your own race you cheated. Yeah. No, <laughs> <laughs> you got to win your own race, right? That's <laughs> well. It's embarrassing if you don't. I didn't I the mean... first year. So. <laughs> wait, wait. So twenty eighteen was the first year. When was uh, the first one? Wait, twenty. There's been two. So it's twenty twenty. Yeah. So it, ha it happens in February. So okay. Um, so yeah, February twenty nineteen was the first year, and then February twenty twenty this year. I won. Uh... Okay, okay. I have my dates wrong. I have my dates wrong. I didn't realize. I I saw something on Facebook that like an October twenty twenty event. Is that oh, wrong? That is um the GDT four hundred, which is an uh is an older race. It's four hundred k's. Um, and I'm just taking that over. So it's been running for maybe like six years or so. Um. And a few, a, a few, a few different people have have managed that. I have the current course record on it, and I was about to ask if you still did, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I still got the course record on that, and then, um, but yeah, I'm taking over managing that. Um, oh, cool. Going forwards, um, and man, you got I, your hands in all the cookie jars. Yeah. Well, I, I'm I'm working on some other stuff. I actually really want to create a third Victorian route, and then have it as like a victorian sort of triple crown event like spread over the uh, year that people can is that the one you just uh rode and put out some gpx on like within the last week uh or is it different no that's that's not going to be a race that was just a tour um but it was such it was such an awesome trip that like i'm just like people got to go ride this because it's in a part of the state that's like pretty remote and like pretty sandy um and not a whole lot of people are ridden out there. Um, and there was like, there was a couple of parts like through this national park called little desert. And I literally could not find a single lick of information anywhere of anyone having ridden there before. Um, so 
it was just kind of going out and and trying to figure out like if it was rideable or enjoyable and it was so cool it was it was like awesome um riding there's a bit of walking like this there's a few bits with really soft sand that was like unrideable but just get off and walk and you know it wasn't it wasn't too prolonged of a stretch um that was rideable and definitely enjoyable i guess the the thing about hike a bike in sand is that it's actually like easy it's just going for a walk whereas like you know like hike a bike up a mountain can be actually really hard work (laughs) Like the one on Hunt, I, I listened to your podcast with Dan Hunt, and y'all yeah. were talking about that one hike a bike yeah. on the Hunt One Thousand. He said I think eight kilometers, maybe. Uh, it sounded terrible. You did it at yeah. night. At night, I remember. That. Yeah, it was which is worse. I think we should circle back to your uh, Tour Divide because you were okay. talking about the training going up to it, and I think we yep. need to. I, I definitely want to talk to you about that. Actually, uh, you'll know probably that I just interviewed uh, Bailey Newbury. Newbury, yep. I always it's Newbury. <laughs> uh who in 2018 was a second place finisher to you yep. on the tour divide and he was only on one gear yeah right? so uh it, it, i mean it was just cool to talk to him and then we hooked up i'm like cool like now i get to hear the other side of the story so number two on the 2018 divide was bailey newbury now i get to hear your story uh so i'd love to hear like just i mean First of all, here's my first question. I wonder if you can answer this. What does it feel like? What does it mean to you to be a Tour Divide winner? Something nothing, no one can ever take that away from you. Man, it's, honestly, sometimes I don't believe it. Uh, like, it's, 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 I don't know, it's crazy. I, um, yeah, it was, it was actually a really weird ride. Like, I guess like the second half, of the race, um, I opened up like a reasonable gap on Bailey, like at least like comfortable. Like I, it, you know, there was there was no point until like I touched that border that I was like, "This is mine." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, there's so so much room for shit to go wrong, injury, mechanical, like, and like Bailey was crushing it, but there was a point like about halfway through where I, I opened up maybe to about like a hundred K's um, lead. And I was like, I could do this. Like I could win this thing. And it was, it was really weird because like I'd sort of gone in and my goal was 15 days, um, which really meant anything that started with the number 15 so like if it was like 15 days as long as it's 15 and 23 23 hours hours, 59 (laughs) minutes like i i just wanted it to start with 15 um fair okay i'm glad you asked you answered that question that i was going to ask is what were your goals were you going in to win or you know you just wanted to hit the 15 so you had no that's even crazier right like you weren't going there to win you were going to do probably what your best and you thought your best was what 15 i mean i don't know i'm putting words in your mouth again but no no but that that like that's pretty much exactly it but it, it's kind of funny and it's it's I'll, I'll get to in a minute uh something that bailey talked about with you where i that was my goal because that's that's what i can control i can't control what anybody else does but that was my goal and that's what i wanted to to achieve there hmm. and i guess i knew that historically like that would put me in with a good chance of winning if I did that. But yeah, you're definitely in the conversation. 
it never there was still a big part of me that didn't believe that I could actually do a 15 day finish. Um, and certainly I didn't really think that much about the possibility of actually winning it. Um, but so in, in your interview with Bailey, he, he talks about like a moment riding with Gareth, who's a really good friend of mine is another guy from Melbourne who was also racing on single speed where they were riding together and, and Bailey pulled out some, oh no, Gareth pulled out some time splits of, mm, of previous yeah. people racing and Bailey like made some jab at him and Gareth turns at him. And I know it's so funny when, when Bailey told this story, I know the exact look and the exact tone that Gareth spoke to him in yeah. because I've had the same thing. But, but so, so Gareth turns to him and he says, you know, because because obviously, I guess like the what the fuck is are that, you doing, mate? Yeah, like what, <laughs> what, what the, the hell? Are, what what the hell are you trying to do? And it's like, <laughs> that's it. It's like he was there to win. Like all three of us were there to win, and yeah. it's kind of funny to think that like both Bailey and I were in the same position of like trying to go really dang fast, but at the same time, kind of like not confident enough, I guess, to sort of be like, I'm gonna win this, yeah. and. So like riding and having that much time like alone with my thoughts and the realization that like I was in a position to win it, like that was incredibly emotionally overwhelming. And I spent like a good amount of time like crying <laughs> because really? like it was like that overwhelming. I like I'm an emotional person, like as it is. Um yeah. I have no shame in admitting that. But I think as well, like your hormones and stuff go like all over the place oh, when, yeah, when you're pushing sure. your body that hard and so like i would have these moments where i was just crying like while i was riding because it was like just so overwhelmed with like i guess pride in myself that i'd worked yeah, so fucking man. hard and was like pushing myself but that like i was actually doing this thing that like i was sort of scared to like admit that i was going for and like scared to admit that i as much as I was like aiming for was like, didn't know that I was capable of or whatever. And realizing like, man, like I can do this. I'm capable of this. And like realizing, I guess what that meant in terms of like what I'm able to do, it was kind of mind blowing. Yeah. It's a beautiful thing, man. I love to hear that. I don't know. I guess if you like picture somebody who's at the lead of a tour to buy, you picture this like sleep deprived, like, just, I don't know, just like, argh, you know, this like aggression, you know, this like, I'm going to fucking get out there. I'm going to fucking win. But you're having to battle yourself, you know, you're not just against the field. Like you are there out there ahead and you've got to figure that shit out. You know, you got to be confident in yourself or even not. And, and then find out that you are later. But I mean, you're, you're battling that and you're figuring that out the time. Was that your first tour divide? Yep. That was like my yeah, first. That's crazy, dude. Yeah. That's fucking nuts. Like, <laughs> that's what I'm saying is like, you hadn't even experienced it to know, to like have a, a mental background or, or a physical experience to where like, you kind of like know even what to expect, you know? Like, I don't know. It's just, it's a wild, wild thing to think about being in that position. 
I yeah. can't, and I like the way that you told it. It's a, it is a beautiful thing and it's okay to be like surprised and proud of yourself. Like, yeah. especially with something like that. Let's not kid ourselves. The tour divide to me is one of the hardest. I mean, I know there's, but bikepacking in general, this ultra endurance bikepacking is one of the most hard, hardest things anyone can physically and mentally do. And that's the thing. It's not physically hard or mentally hard. It's both. You got to do both of them. And you also got to get lucky, right? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Um, really interesting though, I guess on that, like that mental thing, I guess you're talking about how like what you picture of somebody at like the front of the race. And it's really interesting because, you know, every now and then when I would check in on the dots and see like how close Bailey was and I'm like thinking about what I've been doing and I just like, I think about Bailey and I'm like, man, this guy is a monster. Like he's an absolute animal. Like he's not sleeping. He's riding so much. Like he's going so fast. He's covering so much ground. Like how the hell am I going to keep up from him? But meanwhile, like, I'm actually like in front of him, but it's like, I'm, it's like, I'm, it's like, you know, I'm seeing myself as this like exhausted, like uh. tired, like emotional, like person. And I see all of my own struggles and right. I'm trying as hard as I can and pouring it out. But then I look at him or his dot on the map and I'm like, this guy is unstoppable. Like, yeah how how is he doing this like how <laughs> how is any human capable of doing this yeah and meanwhile i am doing it but it's like there's this separation between like the way you view yourself and the way you view other people yeah. um, no i get that you you're like man this guy's a fucking lion he's coming to get me and you know he's chasing me down and he's not sleeping and he's hot on my trail i can't slip up he doesn't yep. know I'm, and the whole time he's, he's not having the, you know, he's, he's struggling too. Yeah. Yeah. That's an interesting perspective. I liked also whenever he talked about, um, how you and him, uh, connected on Instagram during the race, you know, and, and broke down some of these myths. I mean, I don't know if they're myths, but I mean, the, the, that's the kind of the cool thing about podcasts when we're out with, uh, with, with bikepacking is that all of these were question marks, right? Is like, what is going through someone's head? What are the emotions that they're experiencing? Are they friendly with each other? Are they like trying to cut each other's tires at night? Like, what are they doing? I, yeah, I nope. cutting the tires was a joke, but, um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I mean, the fact that y'all were like texting, you're like, dude, you're like, you're killing it. Wow. Yeah. Well, I, I think like just being out there together like so i i didn't know bailey from a bar of soap before the race started <laughs> um we shook hands on the start line because we both like you know like at everyone's lining up at the at the ywca there in banff and the people that want to go fast they just you know there's no marshalling there's no whatever the people that want to go fast just go up to the front and that's pretty much declaring like um <laughs> this is where i want to be you know yeah. And so, like, I, I knew most of the other people um, that were lined up there, and I didn't know Richard Dunnett, who is uh, he's a British guy that lives in New Zealand. So, like, we sort of said, what's up? Um, and same with Bailey, just shook his hand. And that was the only time on the entire course that I saw him. Um, he passed me once in Idaho sleeping, while yeah. I was sleeping, which which you heard him talk about. And yeah. that's it. And then I passed back in the morning while he was sleeping. And we never the actually way, saw each other on course. The way he told that, 
And I didn't see him again until he picked me up for the whatever race y'all did like the next year, you know, yeah. the way he, the way he said that was, was pretty well said. So I was curious for you, what was that like when you woke up and this motherfucker had passed you and you're like, fuck. Yeah, it was, um, yeah. I mean, cause at that point I was probably, I was probably like five days in or something. And mm. so, I mean... I guess the probably the first three days or so, I was kind of bouncing around between first and third. Um, and then leaving Basin, Montana, um, Richard had actually crashed coming off of um, Lava Mountain, like just out of Helena. And he hurt himself, and that ended up being his, his undoing. Um and then Gareth had actually passed us, I think, that night. And then that was it. So after leaving base in Montana, I had the lead and um, had a couple of hours on Bailey at that point. And, you know, so then had a couple of days riding with the lead. And so it was definitely like, you know, like not a comfortable lead by any point, but was sort of starting to feel like, okay, like I, I have a bit of control over this race. Um mm. And yeah, definitely. I don't know. Waking up. So in the you morning had, and seeing, did you have the, did you have the lead for 10 days then? Like you pat or he passed you on day five. Yeah. I, yeah. How long did you have the lead about nine or 10 days? Something like that. Yeah. So, I mean, base, I mean, essentially I had it from the morning of day three, I guess maybe that would have been in leaving basin. Um, and then lost it for, I guess, about two hours there on day five and then <laughs> had it all the way to the finish from there. Wow. So that's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. You had a, you had time to like really sit with being the lead. It wasn't, you know, I, I guess, you know, I didn't really quite, uh, put that into my brain that you were really just sitting on that lead for such a long time. Did anything change for you? Did, uh, your, 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 I don't know, man. You know how it is. It's like you go on a race. It's different when it's Tour Divide. It's 15 days, right? But if you go on a race, you get zealous. And you're like, oh, go, 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 go. And then you burn out. Did did you have any of that? Or did you just like stick to your guns and do your thing? Um, It was, I mean, it was really interesting for me. Like you said, it was my first, I mean, it was my first Tour Divide, but it was my first race of like any substance or length. So my racing mm. experience before that, had been the GDT 400, which so like that's when I saw I set the course record. Um, and that's a great that divide that's, trail. Yep, and in that was Australia. Yep, that's correct. And that's that time was like I mean it was like 22 hours and 50 minutes or something. I think is my time on that something just around 23 hours. Um, so not super long, but like enough to sort of learn how to like push through the night and that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, and then outside of that was like 2016, the Hunt 1000, which in its first year, so so that event is not a race. Um, <laughs> and Dan promotes it as such these days. But in that first year, I think everyone was sort of unsure about how hard other people were going to push. And there was a crew of people at the front that were sort of like, definitely what not what I would call racing um in the terms that I consider now, but definitely people pushing it, um, giving it a nudge, you know, trying to go fast, but still like sleeping. 
Um, yeah. <laughs> but still sleeping. <laughs> and and that took me just over four days. And that was it. Like, that was my, like, if you want to include that Hunt 1000 where I was, like, learning to sort of, like, push myself. Yeah. Um, I think four days like, for sure counts. I mean, for, how much did you sleep in those four days? Um, probably slept, like, seven hours six hours seven hours and then i think the last night maybe only three hours or wow something. What so did like, you, how did you lot. place in that one uh, i finished first wow okay yeah um, that okay yeah. so how did your uh oh, well i'm still curious about your strategy uh yeah, if your strategy changed, yeah. Right. Sorry. Yeah, I got. I went off on a bit. No, of no, no. But I forgot I, to bring I it do. back around. <laughs> <laughs> I do it all the time. Um, yeah. So I, I guess like my point of that was to sort of inform that I kind of didn't know what my strategy was gonna be, you know, because I didn't have the experience with. Um, you know, lack of sleep for multiple days in a row and right. for riding, riding for two weeks, like didn't know. And so like, I kind of just had to like, um, I guess it started off. Um, so Brian Lacido won the race in 2017 hmm. and he kind of came out of nowhere. He's more of a trail runner and he came out, kind of came out of nowhere and won the race. Um, beat josh cato um yeah. that year and went under 15 days um and i read i can't remember if i read an interview or listened to an interview um but he talked about this idea of like i guess like sleeping longer and riding stronger mm. um and so he was sleeping i think average about six hours a night um and I sort of looked at that and was like, that sounds like really sustainable, you know, like mm. if you can, if you can do that, then, um, like not having pushed the sleep deprivation thing before I was like, this sounds like a good approach to me. Um, and so that was my initial approach. And I think six hours every night, every night. Wow. Yeah. That does seem like a lot. Yeah. Yeah um for to win the divide especially to go under 15 days yeah so you mapped it all out you had a you had a strategy that you could sleep six hours a night pound it out when you're awake sleep hard and do it over and still hit 15 days well that was the original plan and it went out the the window pretty quick <laughs> okay um, <cool. laughs> um so I think I'd sort of settled. I was like, I was going to aim for five hours. Um, but then, so the first night we, I, we got into Fernie. It was pretty slow run into Fernie. Um, because it was the second year with the Coco claims, um, detour. And also there'd been about, about like five avalanches that had come down across the trail. And so there was like these these huge like avalanche debris um, like piles that you you like climbing over um, that was like pretty tedious and slow. So it took a long time to get into into Fernie, and I think we got in there maybe about like ten p.m. or so, 
Um, and then three of us uh, got a hotel room and um, I think we slept for about two and a half hours and then got up around like 1 a.m. or something and pushed off again. Um, and it was just because they got up and I was like, all right, well, if they're getting up, I'm getting up. <laughs> um, and then I try, and then probably the next two nights, I slept about five hours. Um, and as I said, Richard Dunnett um, was sort of in front of me and he was, I think, maybe sleeping three to four hours a night. But so he would sort of take off in the mornings a little bit ahead of me and I would catch him during the day and then I'd sleep longer and he'd sleep less and then he'd take off in front of me again and I'd catch him during the day and I'll sort of like, mm. okay, well, like if we're sort of ending up around the same it's place. It's like proof the, of concept, right? Yeah. Like, I was like, okay, yeah. well, 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 this is working. Yeah. Um, and then, as I said, he got injured when he crashed and sort of dropped off. Um, but then I got a, a few more days in and was sort of still sticking around about the five hour mark. Um, and I think, oh, in Avando, um, I woke up and I'd got in there and like fairly late or I think around midnight. And then I got up at about five and like Gareth was there. And the last I'd seen Gareth was like hours behind me, but I saw his bike. There's like a little teepee in the town square there. And he was sleeping in the, in the teepee <laughs> and I was just about to leave. And I heard him coughing. And so I was sort of like, Gareth, uh, are, you, are you awake? And he was like, yeah. And I'm like, man, what, how did you get here? Like you were hours behind me. Like, when did you get in here? He was like, uh, maybe like 45 minutes ago. And I was like, all right, man. Well, so good. So good to see you, man. Keep you're, you're killing it. Like, I'm sure I'll see you down the trail. And he was like, nah, I'm going to come hold up. And so like, he'd been there like 45 minutes or something and just like got Whoa. up and like, just rolled with me. And, um, Whoa. it's like, like 45 minutes. And so like, I mean, I'm still like fairly confident at this point. Cause I'm like, look, if these guys aren't sleeping and I am sleeping and, that's what I'm thinking. Like, I mean, like it's it's gonna work, but the days kept dragging on, and then I like I said I'd, I'd spend a few days in front of the in the lead, but still like couldn't actually like open up a gap at all. Uh. And then th there was a point where I was like, "Damn it! Like I want to open up this this gap." And we crossed the basin, uh, like the Great Basin, and Bailey talked about this where I had this expectation that because it's quite flat and. Ga both gareth and bailey who are the the two closest people behind me were on single speeds i was like i'm gonna <laughs> That's put crazy i'm gonna put some distance into these guys across here right and i didn't at all <laughs> <I> <laughs> and so that night i was like man okay well i can't outride these guys uh. so i'm just not gonna sleep and so i i think i I maybe slept like two hours that night. I like, I was like, I'm just going to keep riding and I'm going to like not sleep. I'm just going to take like a nap and then get up. And that's how I'm going to open up my gap. And then after that, I was probably that night was two hours, I think. And then after that, I was probably averaging three hours a night. Cause I, um, and how did you handle that? That was fine. There was one exception in, um, somewhere in Colorado um, a 
forget the little town. Um, but um, yeah, there was one night where I maybe slept six hours. I think I'd opened up the lead. It was maybe a hundred miles at that point, and so I gave myself no. like a little bit of a longer sleep to sort of regroup, and then um, pushed back into sort of the three-hour routine again after that. So after listening to the Bailey Newbury interview, uh, do you have any desire to switch single speed and give it a run, a, a go that way? No, it's not for me. It's not for me. Um, He's the next level, man. He's crazy. Yeah, it's crazy. And look, like I, man, like I, I ride with Gareth enough um, to know that, I mean, yeah, not to sleep on single speeders. Like, I know that they can, like, that's not really a limiting factor over that kind of terrain and that kind of distance. So, like, I wasn't, I wasn't, like, I mean, although I did say, like, you know, there's part of me that thought, like, on that one section, like, I might be able to open things up. But overall, yeah. like, I'm not not underestimating anyone um, on that basis, um, you know? Like, I never, it just, my, my mind never really, like, wrap my head around that until he was talking about it. even though alexandra has won the tour divide uh on a single speed and he's coming like i just I, I don't know it's 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 mind-blowing from a texas guy you know with no mountains around me to think that yeah. you could that you could do that but yeah it was uh it was neat it was neat he he threw down some uh pretty uh pretty big claims about uh the abilities and i really like i was like okay this guy's for real and he's serious about believing that you know single speed is not a limiting factor to being able to go fast no so he had some good he had some good points but yeah i don't think it's that's what i said to him was like i like my single speed but uh, you know if i'm going backpacking and there's some elevation i'm i think my gears will be a welcome company yeah look it it's it's not for me but like um i think it's it's so cool like people like yeah like bailey gareth chris plesco who is kind of like one of the first people i mean he's obviously got the single speed record currently but like he's shown that like it doesn't it that's it's not the bike it's the it's the person um and uh yeah i mean chris has thrown down even on like the colorado trail single speed like you know which is you know i could sort of i can understand it on the tour divide i can see how it can happen but like for to me like i would have thought that like on something like as as steep and technical as the the colorado trail that like it would All make right. a bigger difference but still not that's crazy still not um well, i gotta I, there's actually a really funny story like as, okay. as you said me and um me and bailey as you said we'd sort of like messaged a little bit during the race and then definitely connected after the race um to yeah. the point that, that we hung out in colorado a bit last year uh when we were both going to race colorado trail but um after the race, he told me this story about, um, I was surprised he didn't share it cause it's pretty great. Okay. Um, <laughs> so racing across, across the great basin, as I mentioned, and he was like, not that far behind me. And, um, like maybe an hour to two hours behind me, I think at that point. And he saw like the tail end of the basin, like the sunset, like before we were coming into warm Sutter. And for those that don't know, there's like towards like the south end of it, there's like a big like um, like gas field, um, you know, where they're they're like harvesting gas out of the the ground, and so there's some like big you know like structures and stuff out there like burning flames and whatever up in the <laughs> the sky. It's kind of eerie at night actually. Yeah, um, it's crazy. But he saw this red light, um, like 
flashing off in the distance and was like convinced it was me. Like he saw uh, it and thought it was my tail light. And so he was like hammering, like hammering, 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 trying to catch me. <laughs> and um, at a certain point, he like kind of got up near it and realized it was like one of these like like gas towers with like a light on a red light on top flashing. I can't remember what they call those things. I should know because I live in Texas. But yeah, they're burning off some extra like gas that's coming off. Yeah. And so like there's flames that come out. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, he'd been chasing this, this flashing light thinking it was me. Um, and then, yeah, like finally got next to the tower and realized it was just like the machinery flashing. Um, (laughs) but meanwhile, that day I knew he was super close and was like, you know, every, every couple of hours or whatever, I had to pee and I was like freaking out because I was like, there's obviously like, there's nothing around. And I was like, there was a moment where I like, I stopped and I was just like, like there's no one out there. So I just like stopped in the middle of the road and was like peeing like on the, the dirt road. Right. Cause it was like the quickest, you know, just stop pee, stop pedaling and like didn't even get off the bike. But then I was like, Oh shit. Like, is he going to see the pee and realize <laughs> that he's like right there? Because like the pee is still fresh. Yeah. And, and so then I was like, actually like spending more time to get off the bike, run off the road and pee because I didn't want him to see the pee. <laughs> <laughs> but would he know it's your pee or would he think it's a coyote or something uh, i don't know in in my head yeah. he was gonna know and there was like also like there was also a point through the base it's funny where, though like that it's funny the games are the things that are going through your head <laughs> yeah and like yeah there was a point also through the basin where so i knew what tires he was running he was running vittoria mezcals and yeah. so was gareth there was a point though where i started seeing these tire tracks and I could actually see, it was really clear that it was a, it was a Maxis Ardent tire, okay? And... I know that pattern. It was very clear it was that tire. And I'd been riding all day, and I knew he was behind me when I left, or like headed into the basin, but I was convinced that somehow he had got in front of me without me knowing it, and had somehow had Maxis Ardents now. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and he was in front of me because there were these tire tracks. And uh, lo and behold, sure enough, like later in the day, I sort of came around this like um, little hill and someone had like set up their tent, um, someone touring the route and their mm. bike was behind the tent. And I sort of like rolled over and was like, hey, how's it going? And I'm um, like, stopped and just said hi to them for a minute. And I was like, we chatted for a second and then... I was like, oh, by the way, what tires do you run? And he was like, <laughs> Maxis Ardent. And I was like, huh, awesome. <laughs> Thank you. <Did> goodbye. He... <laughs> That's funny. Did he know who you were, that you were leading the Tour Divide? I mean, obviously on the route, he would be familiar with the race. Um, do you know? I don't think that guy did, but I definitely crossed yeah. paths with a lot of, of people like touring northbound and stuff. And they'd cross paths. And like, they were like so stoked to like, um, so yeah, like just get the opportunity to like say hi and to yeah. see me out on the route and stuff. And you know, for me, like I like flip side was like so stoked to see these people out there just touring and enjoying the route like that. Yeah, it w- they were real highlights for me getting to interact with other people in the route, especially like as we said, because I had been sort of right just out in the lead by myself for so long. So to get those yeah. like little interactions would just like, hey, what's up? Especially and then northbound tourists, they might be like oh how's the trail up ahead like is there like 
any water like up that way like you know whatever like asking for a bit of beta and same thing they might be like oh you know like um i don't know this section is really dry or that hill's like, really loose or, or yeah you know the whatever. apple pie at this place is really good you gotta yeah. check it out <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's it yeah it's funny we talked about that on the bailey interview too with like the time like you're not always in this like super race mentality. I mean, I guess you kind of are, but it's at this like lot slower place. Like you'll stop and chat with people and just say, Hey, what's going on? <laughs> That's it. And you know, like for me, some of like my, my greatest memories are just from talking to people on the route. Like, so, um, this one night and I rolled into, um, little town, Hartzell, Colorado. And, um, I rolled into the, the, the bistro and there was like a northbound rider there um and you know just got to chat with with uh this guy chase medina and um you know like i i had like a a burger there and we just got to shoot the shit for a little bit and then we both slept out behind the um the the owner of like the bar like (laughs) let us sleep out like on the patio and um so we both slept out there and just got to like shoot the shit about a bit and like that's you know, cool. like learn about each other's lives a bit. And then yeah. in the morning, like he, he got to continue North and I continued South and we just went on yeah. our way. But like, you know, we still, we still like message on, on Facebook and stuff. And like, you know, I think just that, that shared experience like really connects you. So like, you know, I goes made, back to man, just yeah. like the grassroots part of it and and the part of this sport that I really love and, and I want to see it remain, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's it's about those experiences your experience on the route i mean it's cool that you won um i don't know i I, i've never done it so i don't know if i should uh necessarily have a strong opinion um but as a person who has been a fan of the sport and has watched it um i just appreciate that so much like the 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 people that it attracts you know and the other neat thing that's that's cool about is like you like anyone could come on and win it. I think that there's something neat about that, right? Like a bike messenger from Australia can show up on the scene and fucking win the thing. You're like, oh, I didn't even know that. I didn't know about that. Yeah. I mean, that's crazy, right? I love that part about it. Me too. It's, it's, it's awesome. And, um, look, I think a lot of people talk about ultra racing and how like there's this big level leveler, and 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 there is um in that you know like you know there's it's sort of like a level playing field for for men and women and while i think that's true in the sense that women are just as capable of men um and in a lot of cases more so um but i think to say it's a level playing field is like a little bit disingenuous because i think women still have to overcome a lot um on a lot of levels to compete at the same level because you know like men growing up are encouraged um and facilitated to pursue in a lot of cases whatever they want you know and they're like it's true always told you can do this you can do anything that you put your mind to and the same isn't true for a lot of women and a lot of women are discouraged from pursuing sport and they do not have the same support financially and emotionally to pursue sport and pursue their dreams. And so women yeah. have to overcome that and they have to come the social, overcome the social barriers and the financial barriers in, in, a, in a lot more ways than men do. So for, for women to go out there and to compete at the same level or higher than men, 
they're overcoming a lot to do so. So I, so I, I yeah, I, I don't think I like it when people say that it's a level playing field, but I do love that it is maybe like a level er playing field, and <laughs> that that women are, are are coming out and just showing like in this sport exactly what they're capable of. Um, yeah, and like you said, like the just as well, like the the community element of the sport is is so important to me as much as the racing is and and pushing myself and pushing my limits it's it's the community element that like keeps me so stoked and i think that sort of just brings us full circle into back about like why i want to do this podcast because like well yeah like i love to have these conversations with people you know like kurt ref snyder and um yeah lucky morton and people that are pushing um like the absolute limits of this sport because I can learn from them and that I hope other people can learn from their stories too. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and, and make me a better racer and, and stuff, but it's, it's, it's feeding back into that community um, and that community spirit that's so huge in bikepacking. And, and that's, yeah. that's like one of the biggest things for me, just as like, I'm just as same, big, man. just as big as racing is for me is, is the community element. So yeah, yeah I think, think that kind of brings it full circle. I agree, man. I was going to say, I feel like, you know, if there's anywhere that I would want to contribute, it would be to bikepacking and to the outdoors and to getting people to experience it and to enjoy it however they want to. I, you and I like the bike. That's how we like to. Ultimately, we love to be outdoors. That's what it's really about is being outside, that connection to nature and being, you know, pushing yourself, all that fun stuff. And you can learn a lot about yourself. So, um, yeah. I, I, I guess I couldn't agree more. Like that's what it really comes down to for me is, uh, is giving people a, uh, I don't know, hopefully something, some inspiration, you know, and, and giving them a, a window into something that they, they didn't know about. And, and I'm, I'm going to be honest, like I'm very selfish about it. Like I really enjoy these conversations, you know, like I reach out to people I'm super interested to talk to and like, just enamored by their stories and what they're capable of doing. It, it, it's always so funny to me that like we have these conversations about doing something that I think is one of the most incredibly challenging things that a human can do, um, at least physically and mentally, like I said. And we talk about it like it's just average day stuff, but it's not, man. This stuff is crazy. And yeah. Yeah. Anyway. It is crazy, but I, I think the cool thing is it's kind of like you were saying, like, um, you know, in that I just sort of came out of nowhere to, to, to do what I did at Tour Divide. But I think that just kind of goes to say that as crazy as it is, like, I'm just a normal person. Like, I'm not right. like a, a freak freak athlete or, right. or anything like that. I'm a, I'm a normal person that just loves riding my bike. And maybe I'm a bit too stubborn for my own good. Um, yeah. But uh, that's it. And, and it's like the sort of thing that like, if, if, you i think the cool thing is that like if you really want to do this like anybody can anybody can put their right. mind to this task and be capable of doing it um yeah. i and, love that and yeah. and now you and i are both in a position to be able to be um to to help facilitate that right because we've identified areas in which the sport can be better. And so we have an opportunity to um, help it go in the direction it needs to go by being by more diverse. And it is include, I think it's, I don't know, man, at least the bike packing. I feel like, I feel like the bike packing community is just like, come on anybody. Like, let's go, let's go ride bikes. Like, let's do this together. Um, but we gotta, we gotta just 
I, I don't know. I like bikepacking is so new. Like I feel like it's good and we can just keep it good and keep it going in that direction. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, for sure. Like, so much other shit is so fucked up in the world. Like so many people have fucked up, but this community and this, uh, this sport or activity or whatever you want to call it. Um, I feel like most times gets it right in a lot of ways, but it's still a white sport, but bikepacking grants, I don't, or, uh, bikepacking routes, um, the grant program. Uh, I don't know if you, you heard, you listened to that podcast. So I partnered up with uh, bikepacking routes. Yep. I'm going to give 1% of all my income from bikes or death to, uh, their, uh, BIPOC adventure grant program. And for anyone who doesn't know, that's, um, I love what they're doing because they're giving, raising money and going to give it to a person or persons of color and allow them to have an adventure. And I trust them. I don't know exactly the details. I don't know if they do either, whether that's, you know, help them pay for a trip or a bike or whatever it is that they need. Um, but that's cool. Like that's what we need because it is a very white, very male, uh, sport, but, um, yeah, we can, we can do better. Absolutely. So, so I guess the the way I see it is that um, we're in a unique position because we are such a young sport, and we don't have like this history and this tradition of being so incredibly dominated by white white males. And no doubt we are dominated, but without right. that that I think ingrained history, we have a unique opportunity to to do a lot better and. I th- and I think you see you see that history in in stuff like the Tour de France or something or, and and really established sports where like people cling to that white history as an excuse, um, and so because we're we are so young we have a really unique opportunity and um, while I do think we're doing well and I think we're doing better than other sports uh, we still have a long way to go I personally have a long way to go um, and. You know, like I'm not ashamed to say that. Like it's like I I have a lot more that I can do. Um, so as much as I'm saying this, like that lens is also turned on me, um, too. And I'm trying mm-hmm. to do like what I can with my platform and continue to do more. Well, that circles back to what we were saying in the beginning about you know you don't know till you know or whatever. And it's like you, that's all you can do in life is continue yep. to get better. You know, whether it's a podcast host or a bike pack racer or a human being, you just have to be committed to getting better, to being open-minded, to learning, to listening, and and then making changes and doing things differently, you know, and that's, but, but that you're, you're completely right. It's not perfect. But what I like is the conversations that I'm having with people like you and other people who are very like-minded and everybody seems very committed to this idea that in this industry, in the outdoors, it is for everybody. And like, let's, let's make that a reality, you know, like, let's not just say it, but like bikepacking routes. I love that. Like, let's fucking do something about it. Let's put our money where our mouth is. Uh, as a podcast, I know you and I are both committed to, you know, diversity and uh, of, of guests, you know, and sharing all levels of experiences and, and stories because they all matter, right? <laughs> so yep. that's it. Um, and yeah, like you said, um, yeah, the bikepacking routes, um, BIPOC Adventure Grant is awesome. I donated uh, a bit through my my company, like my my business, um, a little while back to them, and um, maybe now is a good segue for me to bring up as well um, an interview 
I'm going to be bringing out really soon is um, with Miro Michael, who is the chairman of the Masaka Cycling Club in Uganda. Um, so a good friend of mine, Ross Barridge, who's like Hidden Athlete Podcast, has been working with them for a right. while. Oh, um, yes, yes, yes. I know this now. Yeah. And so, yeah, that's that's a. I'm really excited to talk about that and and what they're doing over in Uganda and some of the opportunities that they're trying to provide on like a community and social level through um, this cycling team and cycling program. So there's a lot of stuff like that that like, um, you know, we're we're sitting here as two white dudes, um, and yeah, you know, we, we have a responsibility to, to work towards that. And I think we're both working yeah. hard and I think it's really great to see. I've, I've turned the lens very much on me. And I've, I mean, like I said, I've, I've been to jail. I've, I've done, you know, I don't know, but the, the, what, what I realized, I don't know, I'm getting deep into the woods now, but I really did look inwards and I realized that when I was done doing drugs and living this lifestyle that I didn't really I just decided I was going to live and I didn't have a good reason for it. I have a bad life or anything like that. And all I did was call mommy and daddy and they came, picked me up and they helped me and they, you know, and I, then, and I'm here now, like that's when I got into cycling and they just like really helped me. And I had a great family to go to. And, um, when I was in jail, there was 50 other people in that cell with me. And I was one of the very few white people in there. Right. And, uh, I can almost assure you that many of them didn't have the same option. I mean, I talked to many of them, right? Like they didn't have the option to call mommy and daddy and have them come pick them up, you know? And so, yeah, I've, I've really been looking inwards and turning that lens and I, I have a lot to learn like you do, but it's good. I like growth. I like, um, good things happen when things are hard, right? Like nothing happens when it's easy. So it's okay that, that it's going to be a little bit hard, but I'm looking forward to, um, to having more conversations and, and like being, uh, being a part of the solution. I love that. Right. Like it's, it's one thing to fucking bitch. And I'm sure you get, I don't know if you get like any commentary, this kind of negative, I, I get, you know, people that talk shit about me sometimes on the interwebs and I'm just like, you know, do something, you know, like I, I I'm not telling everybody to have to think or believe or anything the way I do. Um, but I I've taken the effort to at least, I've made the effort to, to do something right. And, and so I think there's just a lot of value in that for me is not just poke holes at something. I heard an analogy recently that I really liked. It takes six months to build up a, build a house, right? Ish. Um, but if I gave you a bulldozer and blowtorch, you could take it down in a few hours. Right. And that's the thing is like, it's so easy to just tear something down, tear something down. Um, but it, but like do fucking something, you know, like don't just, spend your time tearing people down. So, I mean, you know, to speak to what you were saying is, yeah, we're two white guys sitting here, but you know, all we can do is try to build a house and, and, and work and get better. Right. Like that's, you know, that's all we can do. Yeah, that's it. Um, and I think, yeah, like you see this thing, like a lot at the moment where mostly like white dudes are being like, Oh, keep, keep politics out of bikes. Like, why can't we just ride bikes? Why do we have to talk about, like, bring all this politics into it? And it's like, well, I wouldn't say it's politics because, like, we're just trying to make this accessible for everyone. And until until everybody can just go ride your bike, like, how can you say, like, let's leave leave this out of it and, and just ride our bikes? Because not everybody can just go ride their bike exactly. like, safely or have access to a bike to ride or whatever. So until... Yeah. 
until everybody has that opportunity, it's not good enough just just like leave it be and and go fuck yeah. Go off and ride our bikes like you can say that as a white guy because you you have the choice to just go ride your bike and, and forget about everything out. Like that's what I realized when I was in. That's what I realized is like, man, I had a choice. That's the yeah. difference. I had a choice. You know, my parents bought me some sweet ass fucking BMX bikes. You know, like I, yep. you know, it was sick. So anyway, I love I love it, man. I appreciate what you're doing, and I also think uh, I had like. 37 more questions so i think we should do this again sometime dude <laughs> it would be my absolute pleasure this, this has been really fun um yeah. and uh yeah hopefully it's been insightful for people to i guess like get a bit of a picture of who we are <laughs> like behind the mics um yeah i hope so man it's it's fun for me it's fun to talk to another podcaster like you were saying at the beginning so hopefully other people will find it interesting as well and if not um, well, too bad. You wasted an hour and a half of your life. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. Um, cool. I guess that's a wrap. Um, yeah. No, it's a wrap for now. Let's do it again. Yeah. What's that thing you say? Ride your damn bike. Yeah. All right, you <laughs> motherfuckers. Go ride your damn bike. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the Overland Archive. Join me next time for more Tales from the Trail. You load up your bike, you ride away from home You could be with your friends or you could be alone You ride for a day or maybe more You just love being in the great outdoors Everything you need is strapped to your bars Including that new pillow you got from Santa Claus And then you think, oh shit to yourself You left that super lightweight tent on the living room shelf Bikes. Oh.